Welcome to the Inclusive Mental Health Podcast, Crossroads in Therapy by Belong. In this podcast, we will put therapy under a magnifying glass and enkindle the spirit of intersectional mental health. In each episode, we talk to experts with adequate professional and personal experiences in tackling mental health challenges faced by marginalized communities. The title for today's episode is Re-examining Masculinity in Mental Health. There is broad evidence to support generally held assumption that men are less likely than women to get assistance from mental health professionals for their mental health related problems. Traditional norms of masculinity such as being strong, successful, self-reliant, in control and capable, along with an emphasis on avoiding emotions, prevent multiple individuals who identify as men to seek help for things that are associated with weakness. In this episode, we talk to Sagar Sachdeva, who has worked in the development sector for four years towards building spaces and processes that facilitate dialogues on gender and masculinities among young men. At the YP Foundation's Mardwali Bath program, his work involves creating interactive models of engaging with young men and boys by approaching masculinities and violence through an intersectional lens. Stay tuned as we speak with Sagar about various implications of masculinity norms on ideas of wellness and ways to work around them. Hi, Sagar. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, Saranj. Thanks for having me. Right. To begin with, Sagar, can you tell us a little bit about the YP Foundation's Mardo Walibad program? How have your personal experiences impacted your work at YP Foundation? Sure. The Mardo Walibad program at the YP Foundation works to create spaces for young people, especially young men, to reflect on the ways in which their notions and practices of masculinities are informed by the world around them and the identities that they navigate in their daily lives. And from doing research to conducting workshops, we approach masculinities through an intersectional lens, which allows us to discuss the privileges as well as the vulnerabilities that young men and boys are experiencing in their daily lives. And I have been doing this work for about five years now. And this work also allows me to constantly have these conversations about my own experiences of masculinity and femininity with myself. And I'm also able to bring such reflections into the creation of the interactive methodologies that we try to build with young people. So that's just a little bit of background about what we do. Great to know, Sagar. I also wanted to understand some of the challenges that you might face while working with the set population. Given the complicated nature of the themes, I'm sure there are certain challenges which you personally have faced while working on the issues. And how has your work been influenced by the ongoing pandemic? Yes, yes. There's a bunch of challenges in doing this kind of work, especially when we're talking about young men. One of the biggest challenges at the first level is that of building an interest in having conversations on masculinities. And it's not because they don't want to come into the room to talk. The experience of the YP Foundation has been that when there was work happening with women and girls, boys often wanted to know what's happening inside. Why are they not allowed inside? They would try to look into the room and stuff like that. But when we try to work with boys around gender issues, around masculinities, what starts happening is that they either feel attacked by some of those things because the programming in the past has positioned young men as perpetrators of violence, as people who, simply speaking, need to change the way they've been living or are doing something wrong, which in itself is not an incorrect analysis. But the, but the way men hear it is that they are being told that they're wrong about something, 
And that's where a lot of interest gets lost. That either they're bored or they're not interested in listening about gender equality, about violence against women, because they do not want to start the conversation as being the perpetrators of violence. And in that challenge, what starts happening is that we see a large number of young men just disengaging themselves from the work that we do, from a lot of programs that have tried to do this. And I will come to how we can approach this maybe in a while, but there are ways to actually have this conversation which doesn't sort of see uh, young men in binaries of just being perpetrators of violence or being partners in gender equality. And those approaches account for many more experiences that are outside of this binary. The other challenge, and this is linked to what I'm saying, is that there is also difficulty in understanding the kind of anxieties that men are also navigating. And those might not be only around gender the way, say, women and trans people have been facing the kind of oppression that they've been facing. But there are many different anxieties that young men are navigating, which might be around sex and pleasure and facing violence themselves from other men of different castes and religions and sexualities, livelihoods, education. There are many such issues that we have realized over the last few years that we have also not researched or looked into in a lot of detail. The YP Foundation has also done in this Mardavaliba program, done some research in the last few years around understanding intersectional experiences of young men, which is revealing that programs that talk about gender just need to talk about the same things that we've been doing, but also account for those experiences which cause some kind of vulnerabilities among men as well. And not to say that one is wrong and the other is correct, but both of those facts can coexist and need to be talked about in the same breath. So that's been a challenge and a learning in the work that we've been doing. And the pandemic has sort of made all of these things even more visible and intensive. So we saw amongst men specifically, we saw a lot more job loss. We saw education system being halted and people's chances of livelihoods later becoming bleak. We saw issues of sustenance. People were worried about where even the food will come from. And we saw more and more violence happening amongst marginalized men. So violence against the men increased, violence against Muslim men increased during the pandemic. And there were many reasons around misconceptions around the COVID virus itself. But these are some of the ways in which the pandemic has also impacted the work and then the experiences of men in the last two years. Thank you for sharing the same. Sagar, you have also worked with young men and boys for quite some time now. What are some of the common issues that they have shared with you, especially with regard to their experiences of masculinity? Yeah, so when it comes to experiences of masculinities, very interestingly, if we're in a conversation setting or a workshop setting, it's always easier to discuss anxieties with young men about masculinities than it is to discuss the privileges, because those are very easily identifiable. And many times those anxieties might be misplaced and misdirected as well. So some of those examples would be, say, blaming women for the kind of worries they have about relationships, that there is a sense of loss or victimhood. Because a lot of men believe that now that there are some laws that are meant to protect, say, women, like prevention of sexual harassment at the workplace, uh, the laws around domestic violence, that women will misuse these against them, that they will file false complaints. And they say that this is why they're able to not have fulfilling relationships. While at the same time, we also see a sense of betrayal that they experience whenever they face some kind of rejection. And that kind of rejection could just be a person's use of autonomy. So if, for example, a girl has said that I don't want to date you. General experience of men is that they would see that as that they've been betrayed by that girl because she should have said yes in the first place. Or if a girl says that I don't want to see you anymore after two years of a relationship, they will feel that 
there is some kind of dhoka happening to them because they, they everything was great and how can you just like move out of a relationship so everything gets turned around and, and their worry is in all of this is that it creates sense of hurt that is happening but it gets directed towards a lot of women and girls in their lives and that's the kind of issues that come up very easily in any conversation that we have and across the board in the last few years i've seen this happening in multiple locations amongst multiple groups of men but the interesting part is that while the anxieties might be misinformed and might be placing the blame on certain people who do not deserve that blame they're also feeling a sense of hurt that they're trying to express in those conversations in the last few years what i'm also realizing is that we need to start talking to that place of hurt because clearly somebody has a heartbreak and they're blaming a partner somebody feels lonely and they're blaming a person who did not want to be with them maybe or they were just not interested in them and that hurt is coming from a place of just wanting to be masculine in a certain way in which they've been told to be masculine to have more girlfriends to have a partner and this kind of behavior is where violence is coming from i'm sure we'll deep dive into the issue of violence in a bit but what i'm trying to say is that it also the issues that have come up are showing that they're constantly trying to deal with a sense of hurt and always at the same time missing the root cause of it because there aren't enough messages also around to hint at it and sort of causing a lot of harm to a lot of people around them because of that and to themselves as well apart from this there is also instances where they talk about emotions like being able to express emotions so common things around that come out that whenever they're sad or they want to cry they would choose to cry alone at night in bed when nobody can see them or just we be all let's say we we lift our head up so that tears don't come out in front of other people and that's how you just sail through that period when you're feeling really sad and vulnerable so there's also like difficulty in feeling vulnerable i'll give some examples about this later but these are the broad very common examples of what comes up Hmm. And in your experience, what are major stressors impacted different groups of men in India? How do masculinities play a part in these stressors? Hmm. So the stressors are often more systemic. And this has emerged a little bit from the kind of conversations we have, but also from research. While we understand there is a notion of masculinity which expects men to be providers in the family, to go outside, earn a livelihood, provide for the needs of the household. And we try to undo some of this in our work. But while that work is going on, a lot of the existing socioeconomic environment that men are living in, where stress over livelihoods, has only been increasing over the few years and the pandemic has really made it much much worse is affecting that sense of the masculine self a lot so not being able to earn was a major stressor before but became a very big issue during the first year of the pandemic and so on where young men were faced with a situation in which they had to make sense of a world which does not allow them to work and own a livelihood but also expects them to be able to do that to uh, live up to the identity that they've been given and that is where i mean that is definitely linked to violence while not justifying the violence in that way but it's also linked to violence because a lot of marginalized men find themselves at lesser opportunities in times of crisis and that they're the first ones to lose opportunities are also men who've been informed with certain ideas of masculinity right so these kinds of stressors are becoming more and more common similarly education is also related because younger men who are 
college going students who have found a way to get admissions into some kind of institute they did that with the promise of being able to earn in the next few years and therefore live up to that standard so when education gets halted we also have those problems or when exams are not conducted they face those kinds of worries and as i said it can also be informed by identity so an example of that we saw during the pandemic was that muslim men were demonized as spreaders of covid-19 in the first few months of the covid infection and that was a time of serious misinformation at that time when everybody was trying to grapple with the idea muslim men were facing a lot of violence in communities and facing a lot of issues of mobility and therefore even lesser work opportunities because of certain ideas about their identity similar experiences of dalit communities were that they already faced discrimination and untouchability but with covid in people's perceptions made them spreaders of the infection and that perception led to a lot of discrimination and violence as well so these identities then when we see this kind of intersection happening where identities get oppressed in certain different ways a lot of the experiences of masculinities of the men of those communities also gets heavily impacted by that because masculinity in its general sense as it's defined in a patriarchal structure is about proving oneself as the best or proving oneself as quote unquote capable to be able to do anything and vis-a-vis that we have people who are systemically treated in a way that they're not able to do anything and it becomes a very difficult thing to reconcile and and only recently i was in a conference where somebody who works directly with muslim youth was talking about how there are masculinities amongst the muslim youth where they need to present themselves as patriotic as people who do care about the community and the country and have to present themselves in a certain way that they are not against the people of this country because of the current environment but also at the same time while presenting themselves secular on one hand presenting themselves as say good abiding members of their own communities and there is a lot of conflicts in their sense of masculinity as well happening so this is just one example but there are different kinds of stressors of men from different communities that they're navigating right now and a lot of this can have bearings on what they consider their sense of self to be and to split it in these kinds of examples that i'm giving to split it in this way can have a lot of impact on their mental well-being as well and that's what i meant that we need to start thinking of these intersections so that we can address all these privileges and vulnerabilities at the same time Mm. I hope this is making some sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Sagar, oftentimes traditional norms of masculinity can impact the help-seeking behavior among men. Mm. Do you think that there are avenues for Indian young men and boys to share their various vulnerabilities? Mm. So, first of all, it's not entirely true as a lot of people believe that men never share feelings or talk about emotions. they do find those spaces and they talk about different things in different kinds of spaces so just quick examples would be some people would have a particular friend whom they can ask about some kind of relationship trouble and that is a space where they feel that maybe not too much judgment will happen or maybe there are some things at least i can ask or share then maybe i'll get some advice out of it or some will have a female friend to discuss relationship problems because they feel that you know girls can help me think through this and maybe the boys will make fun of me some find comfort in sharing certain kinds of problems with a girlfriend if they have one and they'd like to sort of talk about those particular issues there and not with their friends because they know that maybe this person will be a little bit more sensitive towards me so there are many pockets where we see expressions of young men wanting to share their vulnerabilities wanting to talk about their emotions the problem might not be of want the problem might be of having that kind of space and seeking that space 
would mean risking a little bit of that masculine status that men may have accumulated by presenting themselves to be certain ways, to be strong or to be dependent. Being sort of generally a, a masculine notions uh, define people's experiences in a way that more status is given to a person who doesn't need other people for things, but other people need them for. So a lot of masculine experiences would go around that I help everybody, but I don't ask for help. And that's masculinity for a lot of men. But there are those gaps where they also do need some kind of emotional support and conversation, right? So it's really about looking for those pockets. We realize that it's not like men are not looking for them. Women don't want to do it. It's really more about whether we can create those spaces. And that's where we also start doing our work on maybe that is the need we're trying to address because there is definitely a bond already. Mm, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Various organizations have now started working with young men and boys as agents of deconstructing forms of patriarchy, preventing violence and discrimination, and raising gender equitable boys and young men. How important do you think themes of wellness in this process? Okay, so I won't go into too many details of the history of the work that has been happening, but just a quick note as I mentioned earlier, when we think of the work with men and boys in the development sector, it's coming from a lot of the organizations who want to talk about gender equality, about, and the conversation started from a lot of spaces working with women and girls on issues of sexual and reproductive health and rights, issues of violence, and sort of in that process, realizing that men can be brought in as participants who can facilitate those rights or, or at least can be stakeholders in organizations being able to facilitate rights for women and girls. And again, it's a very detailed sort of history, but overall what was happening was that engagement with men started with thinking of them as, say, stakeholders through which we get to an end. In violence-related programs, it went from, it started with treating men as either perpetrators of violence and those men who decide not to do that will be partners towards gender equality. But what was realized in all of this over the years was that somehow we're losing out on the participants because they would not want to engage with these conversations because their experiences are not talked about comprehensively enough in our work. That sort of led to a self-reflection within this sector, a lot of critique around the work that we were doing, that this is treating men as instruments of change and not really perhaps looking at how men are also stakeholders in the project of equality and can also benefit from gender equality. So we thought of like men losing power and women gaining power. And that's how exactly like a lot of men who are threatened by feminism think and a lot of men's rights activists thereof will say, but we realize that gender equality we know is good for everybody. So then why not start looking at men as beneficiaries also of the work we're trying to do on equality? And that is why the work with men has in the last many years seen a shift towards identifying them as beneficiaries. And when we say beneficiaries, we mean that what they stand to gain in very simple terms would be more equitable relations, relationships that do not put an undue pressure of masculinity on them and better well-being as well. So what we started noticing was that men who sort of reject some kinds of masculinities which were putting pressure on them, which were asking them to be violent, were also sharing, and this is very anecdotal kind of evidence, but we're also sharing that they feel better and more comfortable and more relaxed in spaces where they can just talk about their feelings, that they feel they have built some small relationships in their life 
or friendships in their life where they can feel comfortable around them without having to prove themselves so i've had men come and tell me that i feel relaxed around girls now because pehle i couldn't talk to girls because i thought i have to prove that i am very like masculine man and then i would get nervous and not be able to even talk to them but now i just have female friends because i'm not worried about whether i have to and i'm quoting him on this whether ki mujhe usko patana nahi hai like i don't have to look at a girl and that that would be my girlfriend but just anybody of any gender can just be my friend i don't have to get to them in some way and that takes off the pressure of me and then these kinds of reflections have led a lot of us to believe that there are men can see themselves benefiting from this work and there is a good buy in genuine buy in for them and that might be linked very strongly to their well being and that is why when i heard that you're doing this podcast at the same time i was i'm looking at a lot of new projects a lot of different organizations inviting each other to talk about masculinities and mental health and this is something i was talking to my colleagues about a few days ago that i'm seeing a lot of interest in talking about mental health in the last few years and it's emerging as a very important topic in our work mental health practices i will come to later in this episode but this is an area that we are thinking is emerging as a very strong area to look at right now we are looking at it not perhaps from very deeply and this is an example of the work that Dovali Bat is starting to do right now hasn't completely gone into the realm of mental health in its technicality but we're approaching well-being as consisting of certain kinds of issues and some of those issues are around say relationships so when we talk to young people about relationships we try to keep it centered around pleasure centered around the needs and wants that we have from them and the whole rationale of it is that when we explain power when we explain discrimination when we explain all the inequities of society we link them to how these things are strongly linked to what we want in relationships and those relationships can be romantic can be familial can be even work related or just general relationship between me and my country me and my fellow citizens it could be any kind of relationship that one can imagine whatever we need in them is linked to all kinds of structures and our approach to relationships is that it's towards pleasure and well-being so basically we combine consent and power and all of those things to well-being and how much we're able to feel fulfilled in those relationships so that's like a broad sort of umbrella within which we are working so it we haven't gone yet into the technicalities of mental health and a lot of sort of professional knowledge would be needed to build into our work right now and we're thinking of how to do that but we started approaching well-being as central objective of the work we do and i think that's quite important to understand as well you know that perhaps we'll be able to talk about mental health much later i think the first and foremost we'll have to talk about well-being and i think that's the first step towards building any relationships on ground so thank you for sharing those achievements with us sagar in your opinion what are the different spaces that men especially indian men who don't have access to mental health can claim to register their distress how can ideas of friendships and brotherhood help create a non-judgmental safe environment for them to access so as a practitioner in this sector i do believe that we have a very big responsibility to create some of these spaces so so the workshops we do can't be the only spaces where men do this but it's a space to demonstrate that conversations on well-being and vulnerabilities can happen so we want to also start creating spaces that don't just 
allow people to have discussions around understanding how this world works, how their relationships work, how their identities work, but also spaces where they can sort of try and experiment by being vulnerable and creating the sense of trust and friendship among the people in that room. And that's why also this year, what we're starting to do is educating ourselves about different practices of learning circles, listening circles, and any kind of dialogue practice where people talk to each other, share each other more than they learn. So while we want to do learning exercises with young men, I do believe that we have a responsibility now to start developing these kinds of experience-based or sharing-based kind of processes. And there are some people out there who are doing this work and this year's agenda that we at the YP Foundation also have is to build our learning on this so that we can start doing this kind of deeper work with young people also. And I do feel that there are many approaches and many ideas that we have can work around. I wouldn't make very specific recommendations on this one because we're also educating ourselves more and more on this deeper work. But there is a way to discuss masculinities also in the space we genuinely will be looking at. The other important part of this, because you mentioned friendships and brotherhood, friendship is a very interesting concept when we have spoken to young men in research as well as in workshops, is that friendship is a space which research shows that can be very strong tool to reinstate power structures. So all kinds of inequalities, all kinds of current dynamics are reflected in friendships. Like, for example, we have caste-based WhatsApp groups amongst young men, especially in UP, which we found out. Uh, friendships around religious lines are very common. And these are spaces where a lot of people's prejudices, biases might get confirmed and validated also. However, what also interventions with young men have shown is that friendships can be a very strong space of uh, subverting this dominant idea of masculinity which is caste and religion and gender informed, which can be a space to sort of transcend these boundaries and create relationships of trust, of vulnerabilities, where people can come together, share with each other what they're feeling, talk about their experiences and not be sort of limited by the kind of identity that they may be navigating, but also to be able to create a certain kind of identity within that relationship that I am this person's friend and I depend I on this person for certain things and this person also gets certain kind of emotional fulfillment from me and that is why we have this relationship. So friendships are very strong tool that one can actually use to create these kind of care networks. And also I just adding to this and why I feel like maybe friendship might work better than brotherhood is that young men often get rooted in the idea that there is friendships with men and that women you don't be friends with, women are people that we date or marry or have sex with, straight men often sort of function from that position. It's good to build friendships across genders. It's good to, say, have friendships amongst people with different kinds of gender identities and gender ex expressions as well, to have spaces where, say, for example, masculine people can come in and talk. And can be anybody who identifies as masculine, doesn't even have to be a cis man. But to, to understand that masculinity is not, say, a one specific cis men gender identity, but is actually a very broad experience of people, and thereby supporting the idea that there is only one masculinity which is muscular and which is bold and which is dominating, that is not true. And a lot of cis men actually do not know this. 
So having that kind of space where masculine people can just talk and feel affirmed could be one idea. Having friendships where people of any genders can interact with each other without worrying about what the other person might think and how it would affect relationships and just can be vulnerable. That could be very helpful in people to come in. And that might also create a more empathetic view of, say, different positions that people often don't have the opportunity of doing. Especially young men wouldn't cross these kinds of boundaries very easily. Yeah, my next question was somewhat related to what you just said, Sagar. How do you think that various groups of men who have been marginalized because of their otherness, for example, Dalit men, trans men, queer men, amongst others, can create and co-create systems of care? How can various stakeholders facilitate that process? Hmm. So I would respond to this by not saying what marginalized men can do but more on what stakeholders can do because also I do not come from marginalized position myself. But yeah, there is a lot of conversation among organizations on making our work more intersectional so that we can address many of the vulnerabilities of marginalized men in our work. And this is why we do gender-based programming so that these spaces we create become more empowering and enabling for them instead of schooling them about their experiences. And these need to be very safe spaces where they can process their own well-being needs as well as those around them. So in all of these complexities of masculine experiences that I'm talking about, it's really very simply speaking the job of the people who are creating safe spaces to just account for these. And it can be a space of negotiation, it can be a space of debate, it can be a space of discussion, but it can also become a space of affirmation. So coming, bringing all of these things together would definitely be important. The second point in this concern is around identifying the government policies and laws as an important area where work can happen. So we don't see a lot of government policies foregrounding mental health, well-being as important. And while a lot needs to be done to ensure policies that address the multiple inequalities we see, and young men, one of the stakeholders who are at the receiving end of those inequalities, a lot of the violence and oppression that people are facing needs to be accounted for from the lens of well-being, especially when such oppression, such violence is based on the humiliation of the other. So a lot of uh, caste-based violence we see, and if you see even among young men, Fast-paced violence is around, say, every other day we hear of case where a Dalit man had grown a moustache and therefore was killed for it or was just beaten up in front of everybody. There's a lot of visual to such kind of violence, which is supposed to create a certain kind of humiliation. It really, and that's the kind of split I was talking about in the beginning, it really hurts. It's supposed to hurt a person's sense of self. And I do feel that a lot of the laws that are meant to address these kinds of inequality, while they themselves not adequate, they really need to also think about well-being as a component of these inequalities and address those in some ways. And just a last note I would make is that it would also help that this is actually something mental health practitioner also informed us about that just this week, that mental health practices often do not take note of such intersectional experiences of people and thereby missing the root of the problem in those practices sometimes. So while mental health practices need to be made more accessible, mental health practices need to be made more democratic, they also sort of probably need to reflect on whether or not they're able to address these kinds of intersectional experiences of people. So that definitely would be great to see happen. Thank you for sharing that, Sagar. 
it was great talking to you you made some really really brilliant points today thank you so much for having me and i wish all the best to you and your organization thanks so much